Thank you. I wanted to use some illustrations from the last time I preached. Uh, the bunch, if you weren't here, that was the uh, first weekend of August, and I spoke about the new country. And um, some of those thoughts I want to weave into today's message. <laughs> One of the most difficult things for me is to choose which translation to preach from. It's like, I know I love the passion so much, but I know it's actually not like an authentic translation. It's more like a paraphrasing. Um, but I always feel like it brings out the richness of the text. So anyway, I brought all three, and I'll just go <laughs> between them um, this morning. So friends, I want to do a two-part study on the book of Colossians. And um, the Holy Spirit led me to this book and highlighted it to me specifically. And I've been, it's only four short chapters. And so I even got my girls this week. I was like, can you, in preparation for Mommy's Preach, just read them? I mean, it's literally like this much uh, to read through. But I feel like there's a message in this book to the Colossians that Paul wrote, you know, 2,000 years ago that is apt and, and really important for us today. So the main theme of the letter to the Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. Above all, he is King of Kings. He is Lord of Lords. And that is the position that our life is, that is our true north. That is the position that marks the very center of our life. And Paul begins by focusing and, and unpacking the glorious and wonderful gospel. And then he reminds the believers, don't turn aside or fall victim to those who would minimize the supremacy of Christ, and lead the church into empty philosophies and humanism. And many have noted that of all Paul's letters, Colossians speaks more of the importance of Christ than any other. And I believe as a church, a global church at this moment, we need to reestablish in our personal lives as individuals and in our corporate togetherness, the supremacy and the centrality of Christ and Christ alone. This is a moment in history where he needs to, in every reality, in every experience of who we are, become our source and our very center. And so let me give you a quick overview to the book of Colossians. In chapter 1, in the beginning, Paul focuses on the exalted Jesus, who Jesus is, this glorious Messiah. And then he moves on to explain his sufferings in terms of that glorious supremacy of Christ. And then in chapter two, he begins to address the pressure that the believers are facing to turn away from the gospel. And I actually think we're facing those kind of pressures in our modern context. And then chapter three and four is gonna be part two uh, that I'm gonna do in a couple of weeks. That section of Colossians, um, it explores the new way of life that Jesus' resurrection has opened for us as believers. So part two will be our new humanity and how we live as a multi-ethnic, diverse family of sons and daughters. Okay, so I'm going to start in Colossians 1. I have to pick out a couple of verses and just kind of bring um, the, 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 the sense, the heart of what Paul is saying to us as we move through Colossians 1 and 2 together this morning. Verse 5 says this, 
We always thank God the Father for our Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints. I literally I could be saying that to you collective church this morning. The faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. The Passion Translation says for that verse, the revelation of the true gospel that you heard then is as real today as the day you first heard of that glorious hope when you believed in the truth of the gospel. Friends, a lot of us will be able to think back to that first salvation moment when we received the glorious gospel with passion and zeal and that sense of freedom at what Christ had done for us. And we received this glorious gift and we just want to tell everyone about it and that like first love, zeal and passion. And then life happens and, you know, we get on with the things of life. But I want to remind us today that the gospel is as real today as it was, maybe that was a year ago for you, maybe that was a month ago, maybe it was 10 years or 40 years ago for you. We receive the gift of salvation, the forgiveness of our sins and the rebirth in the spirit with total trust in that moment and reliance upon Jesus with such joy of, in, in his goodness and grace. I love the acronym for the word grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. In other words, all that God is and all that he has becomes ours because of Jesus's blood and sacrifice on the cross. And we receive all of this glorious good news that we are free, we are reborn, we are made new, we have every blessing of heaven and we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. And all we do is we believe and we receive. But mostly after that initial born again experience, we default to self-dependence and self-reliance in the walking out of our day-to-day -day salvation because it's the culture of the world. The culture of the world teaches maturity looks like independence. I've got this. I'm going to go it alone. And learning dependence on the Holy Spirit is like a learned rhythm as sons and daughters that we, as we receive the gift of salvation, we don't mature into independence, we mature into dependence on the Holy Spirit in everything, where the life of Christ is the very source and central um, thing in every single part of our hearts, our minds, our thinking. And we need to learn that Jesus had zero resistance to the Holy Spirit. And that is our that is what I want to remind us of this morning, that we never walk away from full dependence on the performance of Jesus on the cross. His resurrection and full dependence on the life of Jesus with and in us in the person of the Holy Spirit. Most of us believe that God moves in our lives proportional to our performance. Can I give you the glorious news today? that actually participation and partnership is an inheritance of who we are, sons and daughters, but his favor and blessing on your life is because of the performance of Jesus and not based on your performance. You are a favored son, a favored daughter, and you have access to all the blessings of the Father, all that he is and all that he has because of Jesus's performance. 
It's so good. It's such good news. Um, I want to just remind you of this little illustration just of the good news of the gospel is that I'm going to use the onion and the apple, but under the law, before Jesus died, it was like our operating system, humanity's operating system was rotten at the core. And under the law, it was like we kept, I don't know if you, most of you should have chopped an onion, right? <laughs> you know, layer by layer, we were trying to get rid of like the, the fallen nature and our sin habits and our depression and um, everything, like layer by layer. But the very core was rotten. And under the law, it just exposed how rotten we were at the core. But through the cross of Jesus, he, he, he nailed this old self, the old rotten humanity that could never measure up and never be in union with God. He nailed that to the cross. <laughs> he nailed that to the cross with Jesus. That was buried with Jesus. And you were reborn as a brand new creation. You have an, a completely new operating system. Like you went from Microsoft to Apple. It's your, your operating... Just joking. <laughs> um, we divided in our house. My son is completely like Microsoft and we are... Yeah. Anyway, so, but you have a brand new operating system and you're filled with the, the very spirit of Jesus to continually bring us back to this reality. It's like, yes, we, we have sin habits or we have things that we're struggling with maybe in our, our thought life or our, our heart life. The Holy Spirit will continue remi to continually remind you, you have been made brand new. It's like, that's not who you are anymore. Do you know who you are? Do you know what the finished work of the cross actually means? James 1 says, anyone who listens to the word and does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever intently looks into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. The word in scripture, the gospel in scripture, and the living word of the Holy Spirit is constantly bringing us back to the mirror of who we are, sons and daughters, and how Christ has reborn us as a new creation, um, to be able to see who you really are and then build your life from that understanding and that revelation. It's, it's so, it's this glorious mystery, friends. And, and like in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, um, it says we are brand new creation. The old things have passed away. Everything has become new. It's like, but I don't feel that new, but you are. And the Holy Spirit is continually reminding us and the gospel is continually reminding us it's as real today as it was whenever you believed it. And the Holy Spirit wants us to live in the full expression of that, that we are seated with him in heavenly places, that we're with him and he is in us and we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. So David says in Psalm 51, restore to me the joy of my salvation. That Psalm was written after he had um, engaged in an adulterous affair. Not only had he done that, but he'd also um, killed 
that woman's husband. So life had happened and it hadn't happened very well. And at that moment, instead of hiding, he comes and he says, God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And this morning, as from uh, Colossians there, I want to remind us, let the Lord restore to us the joy of our salvation, the passion and the zeal and the wonder and the excitement of what he's done, can it not be old hat? Can it actually be stirred up by the Holy Spirit? Restore to me the joy of my salvation. We want to experience the reality of God's grace. And I want to say, especially um, in this season, I think many of us have let ourselves down. It's like we feel we haven't performed very well. Whether our, our businesses are not where they should be, whether we haven't achieved what we wanted to um, in the past year, whether we've been struggling with illness or fatigue, or I think a lot of us carry shame and failure at this moment. And the, see, spring is such a beautiful season. Um, if you walk down our driveway, a lot of you were there for the spring party yesterday. We had to cut our beautiful wild grass like down like this. They look like they've had little brush cuts, you know? And we do that at the end of August, the beginning of spring. But within a few weeks, these things are just flourishing in green shoots. It's this beautiful pruning. And I feel like the Holy Spirit is pruning shame and disappointment off us in this season where it's like, oh, I wish I was somewhere different. I wish I'd achieved more. But it's almost like you're focusing on all those things that you're not. And the Holy Spirit is stirring up within us. Can I remind you who you are? You're a Joseph. You're a favored son or a favored daughter. You carry the, um, the multicolored cloak of the father that highlights to everyone you are the favored one. And you carry that so that you can actually eventually be a resource and a blessing to your family, your community, and the nations. And so let's just allow the Holy Spirit to prune off the results of our own performance in the season and our own just letting ourselves down that we haven't been enough. We receive the blessing of the Father based on the performance of Jesus. Okay, so with that introduction, that was Colossians just one, verse five, let's go on to verse six. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit Okay, so it's as real as it was at the very beginning, and the Holy Spirit is working to allow us to experience the reality of that gift day by day as we lean in with complete trust and dependence the way we did when we received the gift by believing in the full and finished work of the cross. And so he says, all over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. Friends, when Paul speaks like this, that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing and multiplying, he's actually paralleling this, the verse and scripture from Genesis where Humanity, man and woman, are told to increase, be fruitful, and multiply. There's like a parallel imagery here, which is so beautiful because, of course, the gospel restores us to our original purpose and identity when we were living in perfect, unbroken fellowship with the Father in innocence, 
childlikeness and trust and vulnerability. And so that's what the gospel does. And I says, oh, and it's now growing and being fruitful. And that is the mandate that the father gave man and woman in the garden, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So here is the creator God that, cre that creates this beautiful man and woman, and he gives them this mandate. And Paul picks this up in Colossians, this, this language of Genesis. And he gives thanks to God that the gospel is progressing, bearing fruit and growing as it goes into the entire world. But I feel like Paul is actually reminding us of our original mandate that the Father gave Adam and Eve. And he's giving that again to us as sons and daughters, reminding us, spread out. Now take this, this new creation where you and I are in perfect union, okay? Take this connection, this peace, this joy as it was in the garden, actually even better because the spirit is within us. Okay. Take this kingdom that is within you and go and let it spread out and let it multiply, be fruitful and subdue and rule and bring order, bring order to the chaos of the world around you. And I feel in this season, and I said this in my previous preach, I feel like we need to re- we receive that mandate as sons and daughters. Because if you don't believe that that is still your mandate in this season with everything that's going on, you're going to be shrinking and not spreading. You're going to be hiding instead of rising in the spirit, in the empowering life of the spirit and the grace of God to be that new creation, son and daughter, that you were created to be the Joseph, the favored son that was able to bring the provision to the world around him, to look after his family in a time of famine, to look after Egypt in a time of famine. So we friends need to settle down and find out what it means to be God's sons and daughters. Go and read uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Go read Romans 6. Uh, with every revival in history, there's always been a stirring up of, of a hunger for the gospel. Um, I believe that this is going to be the most creative and exciting time in history. The world is a crazy place, but we are not going to lose our identity. We are not going to be conformed to the pattern and culture and thinking of the world. We are going to discover more of our identity and who we are as we focus our eyes in devotion to Jesus, as we reflect again and again on the glorious gospel, and as we walk in friendship with the Holy Spirit. So Paul brings us in Colossians 1 to this climax where he speaks an ancient hymn uh, over the, uh, through this letter that they used to sing in the ancient churches. So I'm going to ask you to stand at this time just to wake you up. And I'm going to ask you if you want to close your eyes, if you want to just put your hand on your heart, whatever you do to just position for these words that are an ancient hymn sung in the churches that Paul penned in this book. the supremacy of Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things were things hold together. 
and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he may have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You can take a seat. Those words, <laughs> no matter how big the darkness, this is the plan that is penned in that ancient hymn. No matter what's going on in the world around us, this is the grand plan of what God is doing in the, 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 the books of history. And it's so important that we establish that supremacy of Christ in our own hearts and our own minds. In the first stanza of, of, this, of this hymn, Paul establishes the full, that Jesus is the fullness of God. He is creator God. He is author and king of creation. Everything visible and invisible, every government, every authority, everything was created by him and for him. Okay, the, That's it. Supreme above all. And then in the second part of this hymn, Jesus brings, Jesus is also the one bringing about the new creation. So he's the creator and king of all, originally at the very beginning, before all time. And now he's bringing about a new creation. He is the head of a new body that is Jesus' people, a new humanity, a multi ethnic family. Through Jesus' death, and resurrection, he is now reconciling humanity to himself. He is actually restoring all things back to himself. It's all in him, and that is what he is doing through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So Paul puts Christ's work in creation side by side with his work in redemption. It's so beautiful, this pattern, that God created all things through Christ and he is reconciling all things to himself through Christ again. This is how the message puts it. He is so spacious, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him without crowding. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmony because of his death and his blood that poured down from the cross. The only solution to the problems that we face on the earth today is through the blood of Jesus, that they will be reconciled and brought into complete harmony through him. Every other attempt is an attempt without God to bring healing and togetherness and unity and harmony, whether it's political or ideological, whatever. Christ is the only way that every part of the universe, created and invisible, will be brought back into perfect harmony through his blood and body. Let's keep that as our main focus. Let's not get watered down. Why, oh, this could work or this could work. Christ can work and is working to reconcile every human, to reconcile the whole of creation to himself. And it starts huh, in you. 
He was the firstborn of all the brothers and sisters. He was the first resurrected one, and we are reborn in his likeness. Yes, here we are in these flesh tents still, but on our inside, in our spirit man, we have been reborn in the likeness of the first brother as brothers and sisters. And he is using our lives to reconcile, to be part of that kingdom mission, to reconcile and restore and rebuild his original plan and purpose for creation and for humanity. Through me and you, if we don't linger on this glorious gospel, who's going to do it? The politicians are not going to do it. The, whatever you're hoping is going to come from elsewhere, it is through Christ alone. And Christ is in me and you as his body. So there's this focus that we need to sharpen in our minds of how this is going to work out. It is going to work out only through Jesus, through the supremacy of Jesus, through Jesus being the center and through sons and daughters being his body and living under the authority of the king, not just as savior and friend, but as king and having authority over our lives. So I do want to suggest, friends, and I want to use this imagery. I used it in my last preach, so I'm sorry if you were here, and, 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 but it's a good thing to remember anyway. Paul describes the church as Christ's body, and he presents Jesus as, as the church's ruler who sustains her, the head, and is the source of our life. Okay? So I just want to um, just use this quick illustration here. We tend to approach our life a little bit like a like a pie chart, okay? We do work, we do, uh, you know, family, we do time with Jesus. So let's say, you know, for each of us, it's different. It's like, this could be your work box and this could be your time with Jesus box and this can be your family box and maybe your exercise box or maybe, like I said last time, maybe this is your Netflix box and then this is your work box. But, you know, you allocate your time like that and you're like, okay, this is my time with Jesus box. It's church time and it's maybe time, quiet time with him. Okay, but now I'm going to do my, my work. Okay, and now I'm going to do my family. And actually, each aspect of our life is separated, in a sense, from the supremacy of Christ. I want to present this image to you that I feel like we need to approach our life more like an ecosystem or a plant where Christ is the stem. And this is my work life. You see, the Lord wants to actually re reconcile to us an understanding of, of work being our ministry, the ministry of our life. Everything, my marriage, my children, my work, even looking after my body, it is all flowing from the centrality of Christ. He is the source of my life. He is teaching me how to see all of those different aspects. If one is sick, why is it sick? Like, I'm not going to discard all the others and push all the life into there. No, I'm going to pull from Christ and allow his life and his perspective and his voice and his peace and his joy and to fill all of the different areas of my life. And so I'd love you to think on that and ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, how am I approaching my life? Because I want to see your life um, work into every single aspect, very similar to Adam and Eve, where nothing, our work, our marriage, our families, our church community comes from the center of Christ. And they don't become distorted idols in themselves. Okay, I better move on. I've got so much still to say. Okay. Um, I'm going to skip through this quite quickly because I don't want to run out of time. So Paul penned this letter from a prison cell, which is really, really important. Because what Paul is telling us is that 
No matter what's happening in our external environment, no matter what we're going through, the hope of Jesus brings a glorious treasure chest from the very inside of us. And that becomes the source of our hope and our life and our joy and our passion, no matter what we face. Um, and so he says in Colossians 1, I'll read from the Passion, there's a divine mystery, a secret surprise that has been concealed from the world for generations, but now is being revealed, unfolded, and manifested. So revealed when you get the understanding, the Spirit gives you the understanding of this glorious good news. Unfolded, and He keeps unpacking it, and manifested means it actually becomes real in your life. It was never meant to be head knowledge. In the Western church, we've become about head knowledge. Let me teach you so you know here. No, the gospel is experiential. The grace of God should be manifested in our lives. Living within you is the Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. He is embedded within us and it's like a heavenly treasure chest. I want you to picture, it's like having a treasure chest. That's what Paul says on the inside of you. He was in prison, but the presence of God was this treasure chest unwrapping the gifts of salvation. I'm not alone. He's with me. The Prince of Peace is with me. The joy, the, the revelation of God, the treasure chest of heaven is not coming from elsewhere. It's in us, guys. That is a glorious climax to the gospel message. And I want you to visualize that. Rob was saying to me yesterday evening, he wants on his tombstone um, to be written, like my, during my life, I learned how to unpack well the gifts of salvation. Is that right? I'm not supposed to share that, okay. <laughs> but how glorious, guys, that's what we want our lives to be, is that we have learned, Rob and I have learned, and whatever you see in our lives, this community, our family, our business, whatever you see, this is because we have learned to unpack the glorious gifts of salvation, not because of we're our performance, but our partnership and participation in the life of Christ. We've learned to unpack the gifts of salvation. Okay, I'm going to finish off with this part. The last part is Colossians 2, and I really feel like this is important to end off on. Um, verse 6. So then just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, you continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in a faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes captive through hollow, takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. Okay, so... Paul is now warning them, and he's warning them actually on three aspects. He's warning them on Jewish legalism, on humanism, and on New Age philosophy. He starts to speak in Colossians 2 around those three specific things. And I think this is an important message for our time because we have so many voices teaching us at the moment and speaking to us. Experts in every field, wellness, emotional health, family, self-help, whatever you do, they're at your fingertips. And I think what we're tending to do is stir in those philosophies with the gospel. And it actually renders what we believe powerless because this is so good and so extreme and so simple. It's, that's it. But then we add all of these different things from wise sounding philosophies from the world and it actually waters down and dilutes the gospel. Okay, So there's this constant pull in our culture to follow something that sounds like wisdom. 
and we've been drawn to listen to beautiful, wise-sounding things, but it's actually not Scripture, okay? But we're taking it into our life as if it is Scripture, like we're taking it in as philosophy and doctrine, and we need to filter what we're hearing on Instagram, whatever you're following, whatever like you subscribe to through the gospel, and we need to bring it to the Holy Spirit, because otherwise we're making this big pot, and just like Paul was like, no, just hold on, don't actually be taken in by all of these philosophies, keep to the simple gospel of Christ in you, okay? And that's what we want to come back to. I mean, even I'm going to use someone super helpful, so not to be too controversial, but like Brene Brown. Okay, I love Brene Brown. I've, I've read a few of her books. There's tools that she has that are super helpful, and some of them the Holy Spirit has shown me, and I've been like, oh, that's really helpful in my walk. But some of them I've adopted as a self-help, do-it-myself kind of, let me fix myself approach. And I'm like, oh, no, there's no life in this. I keep going around the same cycle of like I'm trying to get myself right because it's not Scripture. I have the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit within me. He brings life. He brings transformation. So it's not to bash Brene Brown. She's, you know, she's a reference point to me, but it's to filter through Scripture and the Holy Spirit. There's, I won't mention her name, but there's a beautiful celebrity that I think is a style icon, and she's got a wellness blog, and she's got stuff, and she had a podcast, and we were driving down to Natal, and I downloaded her first episode, I was like, yes, you know, and I started listening and I put it off. I said to Rob, I actually, I, it's completely counter what she's saying to the scriptures. I can't listen to this. And I was so sad because I was like, I want to be like her, you know, and the Holy Spirit just said, this isn't, this isn't the road to being who I've created you to be. Okay. So we're living in this age of ideology where Everyone has a system of ideas about human life and culture. Just look at Twitter, okay? Everyone has an opinion and a system of ideas. But, and that is fine. Each one of us is allowed an opinion. We're allowed to see the world and work that through with the Holy Spirit. But for many of us, it's become idols. It's become the thing before Jesus. And what's happening is that around these ideologies, people are creating community. They're creating a sense of belonging and a moral framework around the ideology. So I only meet with people that agree with me. And my belonging comes from people with agree, that agree with me. And my moral understanding of the world comes from people who agree with me. And that's not the gospel, okay? It is beautiful. In this community, we have people with very different ideas on things. And it's beautiful because it's not the main thing. The main thing is the gospel of Jesus. And he brings us into unity because we are all equalized. We are all equal as we are reborn in Christ, uh, which is so, so important. So in Colossae, it was about Jewish legalism, human tradition, and angel worship. And I'm, I'm actually going to focus on those three categories because I think it's really apt for us. Jewish legalism is the keeping of the law, okay? It's about self-performance, which means I can get this right without God, okay? Counter-gospel. Counter but it's also about supremacy. I am better than you. So they're sitting together and they're like, if you get circumcised, if you don't eat pork, and if you keep um, certain ceremonies, then you are more holy than the Gentiles that are also part of this community. And that is where the lie comes in. It's the spirit of segregation between us who do things right and you. And Paul is like, no, whether you eat pork, you keep the, the, the holy days, or, and you're circumcised or not, you eat other stuff. Because I mean, can you imagine what those people are eating? Anyway, um, it doesn't matter. You are equal because of being reborn as sons and daughters uh, in the likeness of Christ. It's very powerful because in our digital revolution, 
we're getting more and more segregated because, you know, even in, in Google builds our algorithms that give us information that we want to hear. Um, friends, we are here to build bridges in our diversity. We are not here to be the same. We are here to build bridges in our diversity because it's the spirit that has made us equal and you are as welcome as this one at the table. Um, John Mark Comer says, ideologies, no matter how noble, are attempts to usher in the kingdom of God without God. Political ideologies, social justice ideologies, whatever it is, it could be amazing if it is without Christ at the center, it is trying to usher in the kingdom of God and the reconciliation and the restoration of humanity without God. And it's going to end up nothing. Time and time again, it ends up as nothing. So can we be ruthless? Romans 12, friends, okay, ruthless maybe is the wrong word, but um, absolutely devoted. Our allegiance is to the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit needs to con like to change our thinking. We do not conform to the pattern of this world, and we like need a reformation and a revival as the Spirit moves through us to sift through all this different stuff that is coming to us. Okay. Okay, the second thing is humanism. Humanism is the self-gospel. I'm on the throne of my life. I'm the very center of my life. It's everywhere. I mean, it's in my thinking all the time because it's the culture of this world. So if you're not affected by that, that's pretty amazing. Um, I make my own decisions. I'm self-made. I'm self-preserving. I'm self-aware. I'm true to myself. I do me. You do you. Speak your truth. Live your dreams. That's not the gospel either. <laughs> Western individualism actually has come at such a high price. We've all become like, so this is me, but we're completely lonely. It's like loneliness is this crazy pandemic around the world. And even relational relationship becomes transactional because I do me, you do you. So if you like me, then I'll like, like, like you. But if you don't perform for me, then sorry, like we can't. So that's, that's, that's transactional. It's performance-based relationship. And um, love is like about lust and desire and maybe like if you make me happy in the world whereas love taught by the gospel is laying down our lives for someone else like it's completely contrary it's completely counter to humanism um even tolerance like we have to be t tolerant of everyone there's no unity and actual connection in that and sometimes the extreme liberals are even less tolerant and more judgmental and angry than the conservatives like you know We've been buried with Jesus, friends. That's the gospel. And we've been res resurrected as these brand new creations filled with the very spirit of Jesus himself. And it is completely opposite to the culture of the world. We actually live to serve and to love like Jesus did. And even in our humanistic world, like careerism, that's a term coined by J.M. Comer as well, is this, that where career is like this cult that we prepare to sell our soul for, makes us so vulnerable to performance identity, to burnout, to anxiety, and, and the Lord wants to redefine work, okay? It comes out of our beautiful life union with him. It's the ministry of what you do. It's not meant to be your identity. He's your identity. Uh, you're in partnership and participation with you. He's got good works for you to do, but let it be this flowing out of his perspective and his, his life and his fruitfulness um, instead of becoming the idol, 
So I think we just need to be super encouraged by this letter to the Colossians where we need to ask the Holy Spirit just to filter what we're hearing and what we're seeing to make sure that Christ is at the very center of what our worldview is. This ancient hymn, this gospel that Paul starts with in Colossians 1 and 2. And then the last thing he speaks about is New Age philosophies. New Age philosophies is the pursuit of spirituality apart from Christ. In Colossians, it was angel worship. Um, actually, if you believe the power for life, healing, or well-being comes from anyone other than Jesus, that's kind of that spirituality, okay? It can be anything. It can be diet, like the latest diet. It can be um, exercise. It can be essential oils, all of which I love, by the way. You will find the diffuser on in my house. But if that is your thing that like makes you well, where your wellness and your life comes from, then it's taken the place of Christ at the center, Okay, so we want to surrender to Jesus as Lord, friends. He is the king of creation that we read about in chapter one. And we want to give up mixing the ways of this world with the ways of Jesus and actually allow him to become the way of our lives. It's a call this morning actually to the way of Jesus. To, and, and it's not like we're trying to behavior modify He's in us. We're going to lean in to this truth that is revealed by Scripture. And we're going to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us to live as sons and daughters, not only with Jesus as our Savior and friend, but as our King. Okay? We, we want, oh, and the Holy Spirit is just moving across the body of Christ. We're going to see a movement of revival in the, the global church, but it's going to look like Jesus. It's going to look like Jesus. Um, it's not going to look like our next attempt at what we think, you know, is a great definition of church. Okay. So I want to finish with a story. I'm finishing now. The story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German Lutheran pastor and a theologian and an anti-Nazi dissident. Um, he wrote books on Christianity's role in the secular world he was known for his staunch resistance to Nazi dictatorship, including the vocal opposition to Hitler's euthanasia program and the genocidal persecution of the Jews. And there's the story that I've heard once or twice where he was an affluent lecturer. He was a theologian and an affluent lecturer. He had a post in Berlin. He traveled to America. He came from an affluent family. And he was training pastors. Like he'd left that position and he'd seen what, what's happening under the Third Reich in Germany. And he'd seen what was going on. And he, he committed himself to working out the gospel in that space. And so he left that position and he went um, to teach pastors in rural, rural Poland. And one of the, fam the family members said to a family friend, go, please just go and speak sense to this man. Like tell him to come back to Berlin and like just get on with life. And this family friend goes to Bonhoeffer and, and says, why are you doing this? Like come back to Berlin, take your affluent position. And Bonhoeffer says, um, come, let's go in this boat. We're going to travel. He, was, he, was, he had this pastor's camp in Finkenwald. There was a lake and their camp was a teaching, this like a seminary to teach rural pastors. And on the other side, there was a hill. So they crossed the lake together in a rowboat and they climbed up that hill and they looked over and on the other side is a Nazi camp. And he says to his friend, this 
the seminary. That needs to become bigger than that. And I think that story is so beautiful. It's like, yeah, us as the church, this needs to grow in the fullness of what Jesus has purchased for us, the fullness of our inheritance. Not only that we understand that, but that we live that out as sons and daughters, like Mark said, from freedom in the gospel to fruitfulness, to that mandate of bringing the kingdom to the world, because that needs to be bigger than what we're facing in the world today. So will you just stand with me? I'm going to read the scripture over you. Colossians 3 verse 1, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Father, we just thank you for for the scriptures. We thank you for the glorious message of the gospel that is written to us 2,000 years ago, more, and yet so relevant to today, as relevant then as it is in this moment for us. And we thank you. We thank you, Jesus, for the glorious good news of what you have done on the cross for us and that we are seated with you in heavenly places. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for this joyful journey with you where we get to unpack and learn what it means to live Christ-like as sons and daughters. And there's such a delight in this. There is such an ease in it because we receive the finished work of the cross based on the performance of you, Jesus. And so right now in this moment, I just thank you, Holy Spirit that you are bringing such a unity to our uh, church community. I thank you. I just saw this picture of the Holy Spirit like oil, like running down our heads and down our bodies like is spoken in in the Psalms. The unity, how beautiful the unity of God in the Holy Spirit. And as we just live in the reality of that, friends, that in itself is the message of reconciliation to the world. So we bless what you're doing, Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we allow you right now, even from the moment that we started worship, you were calling our hearts back to the glorious mystery of our union with you, calling our our eyes to be looking at heavenly places again, to, to bring our gaze fully in you, Jesus. And so we just thank you right now, Holy Spirit, that you brood over us as a beautiful community this morning. And I thank you that you just wash away philosophies and things that have that have warped our thinking or distorted our thinking or where we've mixed that in with the simple gospel. Thank you that it's not something that we have to try and now get right. We can lean back into you, Jesus, and come back to the truth. We have been created new. And I thank you also, Holy Spirit, for a freshness of revelation and understanding of the glorious good news of the gospel. 
and the power that lives within us, Christ, the hope of glory, the treasure chest of heaven. Thank you that even now you are washing away, Holy Spirit, complacency and apathy and disappointment and all those things that just make us like numb to this good news. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're refreshing a wonder. You're refreshing a wonder and you're speaking again a mandate over our hearts. Rise up, sons and daughters. Live in the freedom that Christ bought for you and be fruitful. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Just linger for just a moment. Okay, just one moment (laughs) to just let the Holy Spirit just work and highlight things to you. And what's such good news is that you get to take him with you. You don't have to leave him behind here with me. (laughs) And as you take the Holy Spirit with you, this conversation, this intimacy, this devotion continues. So Holy Spirit, we just bless what you're doing in us as individuals, what you're doing in us as a community. And we just receive your beautiful embrace this morning. You are closer than the air that we breathe, closer than the skin on our bones. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I just bless as each one of us goes home now, what you're doing in us in Jesus' beautiful name.